Welcome to Love, Lead, Listen, a podcast from Alpha Gamma Delta. I'm your host, Emily Bice. Join us as we discuss topics that affect women of today and examine the ways that we can be women with purpose. Welcome back to Love, Lead, Listen. Today, we have two very special guests. Dr. Gentry McCreary is the CEO and managing partner of Dyad Strategies. Gentry has worked in fraternity and sorority advising and student conduct. His award-winning research examines the psychology of hazing, the moral development of college students, and the roots of fraternal brotherhood and sisterhood. Gentry received his PhD in higher education administration from the University of Alabama. Joshua Schultz is our other guest, and he is the chief research officer and partner of Dyad Strategies. Josh is a faculty member at the University of West Florida who has over 10 years of experience in fraternity and sorority affairs, residential life, institutional effectiveness, strategic planning, and project management. He received his PhD in research, evaluation, statistics, and assessment from the University of Southern Mississippi. Gentry and Josh, welcome. Thanks for having us. So glad to have you. So you are both partners of and owners of Dyad Strategies. Can you tell me a little bit of what Dyad is? Yeah, so Dyad Strategies is a company that does applied research uh, is, the, is the simplest way to explain it. So Josh and I are researchers. We were both campus-based professionals. Uh, I was the director of Greek life at Alabama. Josh was the director of Greek life at Southern Mist. We were both in PhD programs, and we decided to get together and do some research and some things that we were interested in. Uh, and as we were presenting that research, folks approached us and said, hey, we really like the things that you're studying. Would you do some research for us? So, so we work with organizations like Alpha Gamma Delta. Uh, we work now with almost 20 fraternities and sororities, uh, in addition to working with a lot of college campuses every year, gathering data uh, that helps these organizations and campuses better understand the culture uh, of the fraternities and sororities that they're working with. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. So you were essentially studying culture of fraternities and sororities. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it's interesting. Josh and I laugh about this a lot. This was never something we really set out to do. We were just a couple of nerds who liked to research. And as, as we were doing this research and just you know, kind of carving out what we thought was a little niche as, as scholar practitioners, uh, people saw value in the work that we were doing. And I, you know, I think as a researcher, you know, Josh, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think that's the highest compliment that can be paid to your work is that, hey, we, we see value in this and, and we want to use it in an applied way to better understand what's going on you know, in our organization or, or on our campus. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more, Gentry. And, you know, a lot of times faculty members have really specific select research interests, right, that might be appealing to a very small set of people. And, uh, you know, this is one of those instances where the stuff that we were really interested in, this this nature of brotherhood and sisterhood and the overall culture of fraternities and sororities, just it, it, it had a lot of um, takeoff. A lot of people, a lot of organizations are really interested in in this kind of work. So it, it is, it's, it's, uh, it is a true honor. I remember very early on, before I think we had even formed the company, and Josh and I were just doing this research, a fraternity that eventually became one of our first clients uh, invited me to Chicago to speak with their board of directors just to talk about the research that we were doing and the things that we were learning. And, and I remember having this moment of like, man, this is, 
this is the room where it happens, right? Like this, these are the rooms I want to be in. These are the decision makers. These are the people who are guiding an organization. They see value in the research that we're doing. We're talking to them about what we're learning. This is the this is the stuff I want to do. And that was kind of a, a big moment for me, just professionally. And and as we thought about you know creating dyad strategies and what it might become, I, that that moment I think was really formative to say that you this is research that that people really see value in and that they can use to to make their organizations better. So when you say your research, can you tell me a little bit more of what it is exactly that you research? So the the nature of our research, uh, you know, Gentry began, I think, the 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 path down studying moral development and uh, its connection to hazing, particularly in the college fraternity. And and uh, what what he found early on in his dissertation and, and that uh, there were a lot of really interesting things that came out of that that I'm not sure he could speak to. It ended up leading us into a conversation about the nature of brotherhood. In the, and since both of us were college fraternity men, we we had a pretty robust discussion about, you know, what is brotherhood? And, you know, we, we went down the path of really trying to explore it, conduct, I think, some quality research around it. And as we started to share what we found, uh, our friends and colleagues that were working with, advising, and working for uh, sororities started saying, you know, well, how does, how does that look at the sorority space? And so very quickly, what started as kind of uh, brotherhood and its connection to things like basic moral development started evolving into, well, what is the nature of sisterhood? And, uh, and then subsequently, when we get a better picture of what the nature of sisterhood is, uh, then what other cultural related things might be existing in, you know, in a chapter? Uh, that might be driving either positive or negative outcomes for members or, you know, individually or the chapter themselves. So that our research really began with the essence of what brotherhood and, and sisterhood really were and has grown from there to, to really look at a lot of elements of social culture, of, of kind of risk management and even kind of member uh, membership outcomes and values of, of national uh, and international fraternities and sororities. Yeah, I think I, I, to add to that just a little bit, you know, Josh and I were talking, you know, early on as we were starting this, like, what are the markers of a successful chapter? And, and how do we define that now with the data that we have? And, and I've since, you know, since we had that conversation written a lot about this, that the things that organizations were uh, the data that organizations were gathering about their chapters and the, the data that they were using to make determinations about the quality of their chapters weren't the best measures or markers of chapter culture or success, we thought, right? And, and the analogy that I always use when I explain the things that we measure is, you know, imagine you're sitting in a dark room and imagine I give you a flashlight and you shine that flashlight in the corner and you're able to describe what you see in the corner. There's a potted plant and you can see the, the outline of a, of a picture on the wall. You're accurately describing what you can see in that corner of the room. But there's a whole other set of things around you that you can't see and that you can't describe. And really what we want to do in our research is help illuminate the rest of that stuff. So you think about the data points that organizations have traditionally used, and I say fraternities and sororities at the national level specifically, to determine what their best chapters are. Recruitment data, uh, GPA, service hours, 
uh, a lot of operational stuff that tells an important story and paints a picture, but it's it's just the shining of the flashlight in the corner, right? There's a lot of other cultural stuff going on in a chapter. You know, the GPA of a chapter or how well they recruit doesn't tell you anything about the quality of the relationships between the members or the extent to which they feel connected to one another or supported by one another or their commitment to their group or, or, or their uh, inclination towards really aligning with the values of the organization. So it's not that those other data points are bad. It's that they just, we never really felt like they told the, the, the rest of the story. And so that was really, you know, if you look at our company, why we were founded, it's to help illuminate those things. And our company logo is a light bulb. And that, that was chosen very strategically. And as it relates to that analogy, when you turn the lights on and look at the rest of the room, there's a lot of really important stuff there that, that you need to be able to see. And that's, that's really what we do. So when you say that you were going out to define and really look into what is brotherhood and sisterhood, I feel like that's a those are terms that we use a lot in the Greek community, especially of brotherhood, sisterhood, but no one actually knows what that means. Can you tell us a little bit of what does sisterhood especially mean in terms of your your research? Yeah, absolutely. So th- that was my exact impression. And Josh alluded to this. I'm you know talking to fraternity members about hazing and guys keep using the word brotherhood and I realize people don't mean the same thing when they say that. that. That word means different things to different people. So we did did the research there to find out what are the different ways that guys think about brotherhood? Can we measure it? And does it matter? And 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 we were able to measure it and, and it did matter. We were presenting that research and a couple of sorority representatives approached us and said, hey, we we love this brotherhood research that you've done. Would you would you like to study sisterhood? And we said, well, yeah, sure. So what we've learned now in the five or so years that we've been doing this research and now, Josh, I don't know our total in, but we've probably surveyed between 100 and 200,000 sorority members over the last five or six years is that if you walked into any sorority house, if you walked into any Alpha Gam chapter tonight and, and I said, hey, write down your definition of sisterhood. However many women were in that room, we would get that many different answers. No two people would Mm -hmm. define it exactly the same, but I could take those 150 different definitions and I could neatly lump them into one of five categories. There's five distinct themes or in the research, what we refer to as a schema. In psychology, a schema is just a mental framework. It's a way that you think about something. So members have different ways that they think about sisterhood. Uh, The first is what we call the shared social experience. Uh, This is the fun side of sisterhood. So uh, the fun things that we do, if that's hanging out around the house or going to socials or the different events, you know, all the fun that we do and the sense of camaraderie that comes about as a result of all the fun things that we do, that's sisterhood. Uh, The second is what we call sisterhood based on support and encouragement. And that's this idea that sisterhood is this group of women who are there to support you through difficult times, that college can be a weird time. You're learning, you're growing, you're changing. It's stressful. And a sisterhood really is a group of people there to support you and have your back and encourage you uh, through the the trials and tribulations as you're, as you're in college. Uh, the third one is what we call sisterhood based on belonging. And that's this idea that sisterhood is a family, that we feel this deep connection to one another. I feel like I matter. I feel like people care about me. I feel valued. 
Uh, and those connections are deep and meaningful and, and real, much like my connections with my real actual family. Uh, the fourth is, is what we call sisterhood based on accountability. And that's this idea that sisterhood is about pushing one another to be better people. Uh, as Alpha Games, we have this set of standards. We have these values uh, that really define who we are and the experience that we're trying to provide. And part of being a good sister is pushing one another and holding one another to, to live out those values. Uh, and then lastly, sisterhood based on uh, common purpose, which is this idea that really being an alpha gam is being part of something bigger than yourself. And our sisterhood is that idea that we rally around this common purpose as a group of women committed to these values and committed to these ideals, uh, and that our sisterhood really is that notion of being part of something that's bigger than than each other or even our chapter. It's this big, much bigger thing. Uh, and, and so women think about sisterhood in those ways, and what we do is we measure it, right? So how does each chapter experience and prioritize each of those five schema of sisterhood uh, and then a lot of other things that are that are connected to those schema of sisterhood. You have these five different schema. How do these interplay with each other? Does having a higher shared social versus a higher level of belonging, does that in some way impact the overall sisterhood? Oh, sure. I mean, and and actually how they interplay with each other is, is probably some of the most fascinating uh, stuff related to sisterhood. Um, so, you know, Briefly, I would say that they're all correlated with one another, right? So that, that it's not like one at the expense of the other. They're all they're all related in the same way. So people think about them collectively as as kind of parts to a whole, maybe even equal parts to a whole. But what uh, what maybe a better analogy, and this is this is one that Gentry's used when he's talked with a lot of students on campuses um, around the country, and it and it you know, international programs and conventions is that sometimes it's like a mixing board, right? So each of these five are important and distinct and unique elements of, of what sisterhood is. But in some cases, too much of one and not enough of another creates uh, potentially really challenging environments. I mean, it, you mentioned, for example, shared social experience. Well, you need to have, you need to have a certain amount of shared social experience present because you know, these are social sororities and the organization should be fun. I mean, if you have, if the organization is and the experience is not enjoyable, then you know, people are probably not likely to remain around for a long time. But you might also imagine that if all we're doing is prioritizing the social dimension, uh, then it may open the door to things uh, that lead you down some more risky social behaviors, like, you know, a connection to alcohol use and that uh, chapters we find that that really over prioritize things like social experience tend to also have members who drink more and experience some more negative consequences. It's just part of how they're designing their overall experience, and it may not be the healthiest way to go about it. At the same token, though, you could have plenty of uh, plenty of agreement and and consensus around a really quality social experience, and if you have enough of, let's say, accountability sisterhood then it kind of balances it out, right? Because it, so long as you can always prioritize that we can have all the fun that we want to have, but at the end of the day, there are certain standards and expectations that not only I have to hold myself to because of the person that I want to be or that I, 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 I explained to my, express to my friends that I am, but that I also, you know, I, I took an obligation, I took an oath to like hold my sisters to that, that, that we have to hold each other accountable 
to those standards. And that's, and that's, you know, part of what we all promise to do. So when you can see these things as they, as going together, but also needing to, to interact with one another and balance each other out, it becomes, I think, a really a creative and an interesting way to understand the true nature of sisterhood, why it really is complex, you know, and if, and if we don't all get on that same common page that we need, for example, it to be fun and for people to feel like they have close relationships, but we also need to get on the same page and have a common goal and know that, you know, we are greater than I, which really I think is kind of sums up that notion of common purpose. Can you put the, the interests of the group and of the, your sisters and what the chapter needs to have done uh, ahead of your own personal self-interests. I think a lot about a conversation I had, you know, when Josh and I first started this work, one of the very first campuses that hired us to do the assessment and then go in and and have conversations with their sorority members. And I'm not going to mention the school, but I'm in this chapter and it's by all of the traditional measures the best sorority on campus, right? They have the best grades. They have the best recruitment stats. Uh, they, you know, like, you know, the members are all just, you know, like top notch, like just on paper, this is a great sorority. And what we found is that their sisterhood was actually really bad. Uh, they had really low levels of belonging, really low levels of support. So I'm in there and I'm talking, you know, with these women and, and, and it's like, you know, why do we feel like this is so low? And the first couple of answers, you know, people were kind of defensive, you know, like, Oh no, our sisterhood's great. You know, your survey sucks. Like, no, there's no, there's no way. And then eventually like after a couple of those, you know, one of the members said, you know, I'm probably one of the people who rated it low and, and here's why. And, And she started talking about not feeling accepted, feeling like she has to always, look the part, you know, be perfect. And that she didn't really feel like people cared about her, that they only cared about maintaining this image that the sorority had. And then another person chimed in and said that they felt the same way. And eventually like this meeting turned into a group therapy session. Like they're all crying and, and, and there's like this big kind of realization of like, what are we doing? Like we're so focused on our image and what other people think about us that we've totally let our sisterhood and the relationships that we have with one another suffer. And that was such a big awakening for that chapter who, who, you know, by everyone's measure is a great chapter. They realized that in their focus to be great to outsiders, they actually weren't providing a great experience for their members. And I think that was the first time where I really felt like, man, like we're, we're onto something here. You know, this, this sisterhood thing is really important to, to understand because you can be great on paper, but if you don't have, as Josh said, that right balance, right, of, of sisterhood mm-hmm. in terms of meaningful connection and fun and accountability, if something gets out of whack there, uh, it, it can really cause a lot of problems in a chapter. And, and we've seen that over the years as we've done this work with, with Alpha Gam and, and with other sororities. When you break it down into these individual pieces, it seems like it's a lot easier to identify areas of growth for a specific chapter or even for members to feel like they are part of a chapter or part of the organization more and feel that sisterhood. Absolutely. So when you look at these, the schema, do you typically see one schema that a lot of groups or women tend to struggle with over others or are they all usually balanced? 
it varies between the groups, right? I mean, so every chapter has its own you know, profile. If you think about Josh's analogy of the mixing board, and each chapter tends to have an area where they're maybe really good and maybe an area where they struggle. You see some chapters that are really good in multiple areas. You see some chapters that struggle in multiple areas. The one that I would say we see chapters struggle with the most, and it's the one that if they struggle here, it's going to impact other aspects of their sisterhood, is sisterhood based on belonging. This idea of belonging really touches on all the other aspects of sisterhood. If you don't feel like you belong, if you don't feel like people care about you, if you don't feel like you matter to other people in the group, it's not going to be fun. You're not going to feel supported. You're not going to care about the standards or the accountability or the common purpose because you don't have meaningful relationships with the people in the group. And so what we often see is that chapters that struggle in, in making those really intimate connections between and among their sisters and creating an environment where people truly feel like they belong and that they matter. Uh, those chapters tend to struggle in a lot of other areas. They, they don't retain their members. Uh, their upperclassmen become incredibly disengaged, even if they, if they even stick around. Uh, and, and a lot of groups really struggle with that sense of belonging because I would say for a number of reasons. And Josh, you know, curious to get your perspective here. We know in sorority world, especially the size of a lot of chapters is an inhibitor. You know, yeah. when you're in a when you're in a chapter of 250 people, you know, you got 85 women in your pledge class. It's easy to just feel like a number, right? And and that you don't have the quality and depth of relationships you thought you were going to have when you joined a sorority. So I think size is a struggle. I think that that idea that you have to fit some standard, that you have to recruit a certain type of person, you have to look a certain type of way or act a certain type of way, that if you don't fit that stereotype and you're not being your authentic self, then you're not going to feel like you belong. You're either going to become quickly disenfranchised or you're going to stick around, but you're just going to be like, well, you know, this is fake and this isn't real. And I'm just going to enjoy the social benefits of this without really focusing on the deep, meaningful relationship part of it. So, yeah, I think there's a number of reasons why chapters struggle. Josh, I don't know if there's others that you think, you know, size being a big one. And I think just the the traditional pressure of, of conformity where on a lot of campuses in order to be considered quote unquote top tier. Yeah. You have to look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way that, that really can, can be a big inhibitor of belonging, especially in, in sororities. Yeah. I, I think, uh, it, you know, as we build on this concept of belonging, really being of all of the five schema, like if, if you can get that one, right. Right. I mean, that if, if you can really focus on something like that, then the rest of them can be improved so much easier, right? Because I, I do think that you're really talking about the core, the essence, and from that emanates perhaps, you know, the other four. And uh, so, yeah, I think I would completely concur with the ones that you just, that you just mentioned. Um, I think, you know, when we think about some of this new research we're doing about like people's motivations for joining, I mean, it, you can ask, five women, 10 women that are going through recruitment, what do you hope to get out of your sorority experience? You know, they haven't, they haven't joined yet, but they all have kind of their expectations or their beliefs or motivations. And it wouldn't surprise most of us that the two most common motivations you're going to probably see is a social status motivation in that the sorority, sorority life is, uh, you know, it's, it has a popular dimension to it. It's going to plug me in. I'm going to have an immediate set of friends and a social life. And 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a nice Instagram and all of that cool stuff, right? All the social benefits that I'm going to derive from it. And that's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of folks start off with that. And I think that connects perfectly with the shared social aspect of sisterhood. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of people begin that and this notion of belonging that they've, that they've now moved away from home, uh, moved away from their original high school friend group, and now expect to develop some of those same kind of deep, meaningful relationships with a new set of women uh, in the, you know, in the sorority context. So they come in, I think, wanting those two things. And, you know, the question that uh, a, a Greek life community, a fraternity sorority community has to ask itself uh, and on a big picture, but also every chapter has to ask themselves is, to what extent are we really delivering on belonging and support and accountability and encouragement, because everybody, for the most part, is doing plenty of things to deliver on the social experience. But I think it becomes a little bit of the bait and switch that chapters could get caught in when they sell one thing during the recruitment process, and the actual life that the member experiences, right, their actual experience in the organization doesn't match those initial expectations at entry. Uh, once the, the smiles and the and everything res, you know reside uh, subside from bid day. Now you're left with like what it's like to be a member. And, uh, you know, I hope that what was expressed during the recruitment joining uh, phase is actually what they deliver on. Josh has brought up a really important point. And, and as we've studied this, you know, both quantitatively and qualitatively, one of the things that we've learned, and it's crystal clear, is that sisterhood begins during the recruitment process. Uh, the, the, the product that is being sold and the type of people who are buying that product are going to be really indicative of the type of sisterhood that your chapter has. And one of the more troubling trends that we saw, not only with Alpha Gam, but with all of our sororities, every single one of our sororities that we work with on a national level over the last few years have seen this really big spike in that social motivation that Josh talked about and, and people who are joining, women joining sororities primarily for the social benefits uh, associated with membership. And, and and that's a huge problem because if if the only people who are joining or, or the bulk of the people who are joining are only there for the social aspect, then it's only inevitable that you're going to see sisterhood suffer because people aren't joining for support or belonging or accountability to become a better purpose person or because they feel connection to this bigger purpose. My sorority is a place where I party and have fun, right? And, and that's what mm -hmm. I'm looking to do. And that's what I'm interested in. Now, those numbers have started to level off a little bit with the newest data that's come in this spring, which is really good. But I think COVID and, you know, we're looking at coming back to campus in the fall. We have no idea what we're going to be able to do socially. You know, our group's going to be able to do their traditional mixers and slops and date parties and all the social functions that really are at the center of, of, of the social life in a lot of fraternities and sororities. On a lot of campuses, those sorts of activities aren't going to be able to happen. So are the groups that are composed primarily of members who are only there for the social reason, 
Are they going to survive this, right? Are, are, are they providing enough of the other meaningful sisterhood that, hey, we're here for you. We care about you. You belong. We're going to support you. Or is it, no, this is just the group of people that I party with. And if you take the party away, if you take that fun away, what do you have left? I think I think COVID is going to be a, a big equalizer this fall in that the chapters who really are doing sisterhood right are going to thrive. And the chapters that are comprised of members that only care about the social aspect of sisterhood are really going to struggle because they're going to be able to fail to deliver the experience that people signed up for. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about six or seven months ago, I was talking to a, a group of sporty, uh, presidents and, and vice presidents, new member educators, recruitment chairs. And we were talking about, you know, just recruitment in general. This was pre-COVID. I was having uh, some conversations and, you know, we were, we were talking about how you can move the needle on sisterhood and, and improve your chapter in whatever ways. And, and to Gentry's point about, you know, we know we got we a pretty good sense. We know what people who are joining are initially joining to expect. And, and I talked to him about that same kind of bait and switch that we talked about you know, just a few minutes ago in terms of are you delivering on what you're really selling? Um, and one of the, you know, one of the activities I told him, I said, any, any chapter leader can do this. Uh, you know, you make five columns on a, on a big piece of butcher block paper and put the five, you know, one column for each of those five dimensions of sisterhood. And really, you know, maybe like the next sisterhood retreat or something, challenge the members to talk about what are the experiences or activities we're doing in the chapter on, a, let's say, an annual basis that would align with each of those five schema, right? What's the primary thing? If we're, okay, so we're going to have a swap or a party. That's probably in the social category, right? So map out your entire, you know, set of experiences and then look at how balanced those things are. Because it, it's quite possible that a few columns have a whole lot of examples in them. And uh, several of the other columns, in fact, do not. And when they then when they go back and compare that to the areas in which they kind of feel like they most be they, they might be the most efficient or have the most area for growth in terms of sisterhood, it's pretty illuminating. I mean, what you do uh, is going to drive that culture, and that's what's going to drive what people experience and how they experience sisterhood. So, yeah, it sounds like you have to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. Absolutely. Yeah. So Gentry and Josh, we're at the point in our program where we like to ask all of our guests uh, this one question. It is, what is your purpose? The, the quote that I like the most that, that I think about, you know, when I hear this question, I'm a big Kurt Vonnegut fan, and I forget which one of his novels, but, you know, one of the persons in the novel asked another person in the novel, you know, why are we here? What is our purpose? Similar to what you just asked. And Vonnegut says, you know, we're here to help one another get through this, whatever this is, <laughs> you know, especially now in such weird times, um, you know, that we find ourselves in. Uh, yeah. Like I think my purpose is just to, to help other people and to, to live a good life and to, to, to try and have a little bit of fun while I'm here. I think, uh, I think that's, that's my purpose. Yeah. That's a, that's, man, that's such a great question. I think, um, when I was a, when I was a kid growing up, I mean, a little kid, you know, and they ask you in probably grade school, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Which is kind of a way of getting at what's your purpose, at least in some respect. Mm -hmm. And I always said that I wanted to be a teacher. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I knew that you weren't, you were never going to get rich being a teacher, but I always <laughs> saw that it was a noble, a noble undertaking, right? I love to study and I love to, to learn as much as I could. And then the opportunities I could have to share 
whatever insights or whatever knowledge I gained, I always found that valuable. And, and as, I, as I grew up and, and went to college, I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be a teacher um, at, at the K-12 level. Uh, and I found kind of a nice lane when it came to, you know, to working with college students. And uh, I think that drives really my, my ambitions. I love to read. I love to learn. I love to think. And then I just love to share, uh, share that knowledge out with, you know, with the world. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think my purpose is, is generally be an educator and support those who are, who are really on a journey for lifelong learning. Thank you. I appreciate you both sharing that. So if our listeners want more of Dyad's content or to find out more about Dyad or even just to find out more about you, where would you recommend that they go? So a couple places uh, that you might want to check out. Uh, our website is an obvious place to start, uh, www.dyadstrategies.com. Uh, we have a podcast of our own, uh, the Dyad Podcast. Uh, and so you can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. And, and in our podcast, we talk a lot about our own research. And we also talk to other folks who are engaged in research or thinking or talking about critical issues within the fraternity or sorority industry. Uh, and then lastly, you know, if you're a total nerd, uh, I would direct you to our research, right? Go to go to Google Scholar and and Google our names and sisterhood and, and read the two uh, publications that we've put out there related to our, our sisterhood research uh, would be a really good place to start to really get the depth of understanding of what sisterhood is and, and why it's important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today, Joshua and Gentry. Thanks for having us. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks, Emily. Love, Lead, Listen is recorded and produced at Alpha Gamma Delta International Headquarters and is generously funded by the Alpha Gamma Delta Foundation. Episodes are released every two weeks, so make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss out on any of our episodes. If you like this show, make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and don't forget to share it with your friends. If you have an idea for a future episode or any other feedback, send us an email at podcast at alphagammadelta.org. I'm your host, Emily Bice, and that's all for today. See you next time.